The Green Bay Packers have seen their Super Bowl odds go from 12 to 1 to 28 to 1 after seven weeks of football. The team already has as many losses this season as it's had to finish the previous three campaigns. And maybe the most worrying stat of all, opponents are switching out game balls for cheese heads. Welcome back to The Slant, everyone. I'm your host, Mark Hogan. And today I'm joined by Dara Carger, Green Bay Packers beat writer for 24-7 Sports. Dara, I'm coming in with some fairly morbid stats, but we can set the tone with this one, right? The Packers are one game off the seventh seed. You have the Bucks and 49ers either tied or below them in the standings. Does that make you feel glass half empty or glass half full? Well, it's hard to know. You know, you've got a franchise that's so accustomed to winning over the last few years, and it feels like when things don't go your way, it's their first time losing three games uh, since Lafleur went on board in 2019, and you start to wonder. You know, it, it creeps into your mind that maybe this team's just nothing that they were made out to be at the start of the year. But I suppose the glass half full approach would be that the rest of the NFC has been poor overall, and you're sort of looking around and thinking, "God, there's not too many teams here that." you would fancy to beat yourselves in come January in the playoffs. But, you know, we said that last year and the 49ers took them down easy enough in Green Bay. So, you know, it, it's it's hard to know at the minute. It's very up in the air at this point in the year. You mentioned Matt LaFleur there, and I guess he's a good jumping off point because it's like Matt LaFleur has, he came in as a, a young coach, like loads of energy, comes in with an offense that he was never really tested. And I guess now is when we're going to see how good he is because last year what he's second in the coach of the year race now he has to go and you know turn things around really i mean was he too soft on players because you know he came in as a friend and aaron Rodgers even said that and there was a bit of animosity between them at the beginning but aaron Rodgers before the season kind of said oh yeah i appreciate that i was brought on board and kind of like allowed to have more of an impact and was i think he called himself a collaborator with Matt Lafleur, and he said he went from he said it went from being a coach-player relationship to a friend relationship. But now you kind of see that maybe he's after giving Aaron Rodgers too much control of the offense, and I feel like does Aaron, uh, Matt Lafleur need to be a bit tougher on the players now to turn this thing around and prove to us that like he can scheme his way out of this? Well, I mean that's the great debate that's going on that's burning Packers Twitter and the whole <laughs> social media feeds alive at the minute is who has the power in Green Bay? Who's calling the shots? Is it Rogers? Is it Lafleur? Who has what say? And, you know, what weight does Lafleur really have over the team? I think, looking at it overall, I think, uh, listen, the Packers weren't good before Lafleur came. They were, that 2018 team was one of the worst teams that I've personally ever seen. And, like, uh, for worst Packers teams that I've personally ever seen. And, I think Lafleur really did a good job turning that round as soon as he got there and then took it to a new level in 2020 and 2021. So I don't know what particularly has changed in terms of has Rodgers now got more leverage? He's obviously signing a new contract in the offseason. Has he got more of a say in the offense? I'm not really sure how that can really work on a day-to-day basis in the NFL. But uh, I think, you know, Lafleur could really, he could do with taking more power, I think, the Packers seem to be playing the brand of football that Aaron Rodgers has always wanted to play, which is, you know, earn the ball out, let him do what he wants to do, get the ball in his hands, hero ball, as a lot of people would call it, uh, who watch the Packers. And, you know, the rest of their team, the likes of Aaron Jones and AJ, they're just too good to be ignored and too good to be left out of the overall offensive picture. Yeah, I want to get into the Aaron Jones thing because they're after saying a funny quote there that, 
the power there is the great debate, but there's so many go- debates going on within Green Bay, whether it's the running back game, was the wide receiver, and we're going to get to them. But when you mention Aaron Rodgers, I suppose his attitude, you, you talked about the hero ball he's playing. And, like, look, we, we know in the news this week it's all about what he said about the mental errors and 20% of the plays are going down to mental errors. And at the same time, he goes and doubled the, doubles down and he said that the quarterback's coach, Tom Clemens, had given him the greatest or his best grade of the year, which I think only speaks to what you're saying, that it's kind of the ball that Aaron Rodgers wants to play versus what's smartest. Like, you know, you, you see Green Bay on short yard distances and they're in shotgun and he's taking shots down the field, which makes no sense. Um, Aaron Rodgers has always had, you know, that bit of a me, um, or sorry, whatever it is, like, it's about himself sometimes, like, whether that's the contract or that he, you know, was mulling retirement, he kept himself in the headlines for what seemed like forever. Um, It kind of does fall on him, though, right? Like, he's gotten his way with the Randall Cobbs, and look, for... For lack of a better explanation, you know, his contract forced Devontae Adams out. We all know that it was one or the other. Tom Brady for years was able to get the best out of guys like the not the top level wide receivers. Chris Hogan, for God's sake, has two Super Bowl rings. Is it up to Aaron Rodgers to, you know, play to the strengths of the receivers or is it more the receiver's fault? Um, you know, I, I don't think Aaron Rodgers played particularly poorly this year. I think when you look at the film and it looks bad on, on the day, you look at the, the players back and you see nearly every player seems to have some kind of different excuse for him. Oh, to be fair, this guy ran the wrong route. Or, oh, to be fair, there was pressure in his face here. Or, you know, that's just a safe play. He didn't want to force a turnover there. <laughs> it's, it's difficult to keep giving Aaron Rodgers excuses when... You know, it looks on Sundays so many times like, what is this quarterback doing? Is he just in it for himself? But I think he's played, he's played okay this year. Obviously, he's not at the level that he was last year or the year before, but like he, I think he's still been very good this year, personally. Um, the receivers have been a big letdown. I think a lot of the issues is a lack of confidence in the receivers, and that goes beyond Aaron Rodgers. I think that goes on Lafleur and the coaches as a whole. I mean, you have a Christian Watson who they drafted to be the next big thing in Green Bay and obviously it was going to take him time and he struggles to remain healthy but when he's on the field they just use him like another running back or they use him like some kind of gadgety player who just runs jet sweeps and looks fancy in motion but doesn't really do anything down the field and I think if the entire team was able to just rally around these younger receivers a lot more it could benefit them going forward like they, they need immediate production out of these receivers and there's not really any time for, oh, we'll just wait till this guy develops or this guy gets better. They need these guys to be good right now because their Super Bowl window is closing very, very quickly. It's probably going to be this year, if not next year, that after, after that they're entering rebuild mode. So, you know, I think a lot of it is they need to just get everyone set and everyone ready to go as soon as possible. It's interesting that you brought up Christian Watson because... I feel like with the wide receivers, you're talking about if they're going to have the instant impact. Look, Christian Watson, what, he's been injured now three times since training camp began. So that's obviously, you know, not helping his own start to his rookie campaign and all that. With Alan Lazard now with the shoulder, Randall Cobbs on injured reserve, Sammy Watkins was on a snap count last week because he was injured. You do have an opportunity for Christian Watson to step up because he's coming back himself from injury again. But I think what 
that last play against Washington over the weekend showed what you you don't just step up and have and it was with Romeo Dobbs you're talking about plays that at the time look bad but when you go back and look at it it actually looks okay and you were the person that tweeted out I think yourself the um coaches cam for the, the I suppose the Hail Mary attempt at the end of the game and Romeo Dobbs it was anticipation that let him down like and that's what Devante Adams had that's what you don't just teach or just naturally have yeah. have instinctively in your first season is it kind of like they're, they're caught in a hard place really because it's not like those guys even if they if the gadget plays or whatever are taken out of the offense and they're played in the correct positions Romeo Dobbs was played in the correct position and Rogers did make the right read last week but then he just it was on Romeo Dobbs that he didn't turn for the ball yeah that play that play sparked some argument of who was in the wrong and who was in the right I personally think that Dobbs was in Dobbs was doing the right thing it was just a case of Rogers wasn't going to be able to make that throw it was more so if he can throw it into a position where there's no defenders and just pray that Romeo Dobbs knows what to do in that case. That is one of the plays there were the plays you saw all the time with Devontae Adams just as you said. Devontae Adams would know exactly what to do. The chemistry between him and Rogers was just unparalleled at times and um, I think you know that that's it's, uh, that's an exact um, example of a really direct example of what you what you're losing when you bring in new younger receivers ahead of you know guys that have been in the system for a long time and there's not a whole pile Green Bay could have done in that case. Um, obviously they yeah, didn't do enough. They should, probably should have brought in a bigger named receiver in the off season, but the same problems lie there. I mean, no matter if you're a rookie or if you're if you've been in the league for eight or nine years, it's still going to be an issue starting on a new team and getting used to a new quarterback, especially Aaron Rodgers, who's incredibly unique compared to the majority of quarterbacks in the NFL. And Alan Lazard himself like jumped up that depth chart like like no one's seen really. Yeah. When you compare last year's starting depth chart to this year, it obviously showed up a big weakness and was talked and talked and talked about. But like you said, they didn't do an in the off season. I'm now constantly refreshing Twitter and I hate to date a podcast so fast, but there could be breaking news any moment. We kind of expect the Green Bay Packers to trade for a wide receiver. Maybe it's just because it's Green Bay and it's easy to talk about and everyone wants to see it done. And Chase Claypool going to Green Bay sounds so nice. Jerry Judy, people are talking whether he's available. But the name that is linked with Green Bay at the moment is crazy now. It was AJ Green. Uh, yeah. Who would you like to see or do you think it's worth bringing in? Is there anyone else out there that you know might make sense? Because this whole thing started off with trading Devontae Adams and now it looks like it could be potentially fixed by bringing one back in. Yeah, well, a lot of this team's issues lie beyond receivers. That's that's the main thing. So the question becomes, you know, if you're gonna trade for a receiver, you're you're sacrificing future draft capital, and that's that's always gonna happen. Um. So when when you ask yourself, you know, how big obviously a receiver will make a uh, trading for the likes of Chase Claypool or Jerry Judy would make a positive impact on this team. Is it really worth it? Because is Chase Claypool going to be the difference between Green Bay winning the Super Bowl and not winning the Super Bowl? I don't see it. I, I can't see even you could add Chase Claypool and Jerry Judy. I really can't don't think that would be enough for this team to really, really compete for a Super Bowl. They are that far off in that many areas at the minute. They've, uh, there are far, far too many issues to list. I'm sure we'll get into them later on. But um I mean at the minute I think Green Bay could they could get a few guys in 
like Claypool, like Judy, they're being the main two guys that would be interested in seeing. I don't want to see AJ Green anywhere near the Packers, but it really wouldn't surprise me if they traded for him because it's just something that I think they would do. Um, so overall, I, I, it's it's really hard to know if it's worth it. You know, you don't know what draft capital you can get. You know, you see these trades come in, and you know the the trade value is announced about five minutes later and it could be anyone's guess. You could be trading a seventh rounder, you could be trading two second rounders. It's really seems to vary in the NFL. So at the right price, I would love to see one of those guys come in. But if you're giving up like a second round pick for Jerry Judy, I'm not really sure that's worth it given the position this team's in and whether they can actually compete this year. I'm surprised they don't want AJ Green around for the pure fact that he basically won, and we're going to touch on this a bit later on, but he definitely won a game already for Green Bay when they went to Arizona <laughs> last year, right? He don't did turn the ball. This. Right. Yeah. No, I mean, what what uh, season that or that kind of kickstarted a bit for Green Bay last year, but you know, yeah. something that has kind of been missing. And this is the real debate. I mean, this is what fascinates me about. Green Bay, we talked about in person in London, and the talk in London was all about Aaron Jones' usage. And anytime you put Green Bay Packers into Google, all that comes up is people talking about whether or how can Aaron Jones get used more in the running game. Now, what was it? He was 17 carries over the last two weeks. Last week, he looked fantastic on the opening drive when he got the touchdown. He had five carries. Through the rest of the game, he only had one carry per quarter, though. It makes no sense. Every press conference that you watch with Matt LaFleur afterwards, he says, we need to bring Aaron Jones more into the running game. I kind of think back to like when he signed that contract and was kind of touch and go whether he was going, even going to remain with the team. It looked like they were going to proceed with AJ, AJ Dillon. They do have the best running back in the league or running back room in the league, yet it's not really coming out like that. I mean, I'm not going to ask you how you fix it because they've asked... Matt LaFleur each and every week, how do you fix it? And he hasn't been able to answer it. But I mean, can you tell us how frustrating that is for the Green Bay Packers fans and kind of what you would love to see kind of happen? Is it that you just, well, he has, like I said, 17 touches the last two weeks. He should be having that and a half really. I think every week now you see someone tweeting out and it's usually going to be me. Is that a that SpongeBob meme where there's like a sign on the poster saying wanted maniac? And SpongeBob looking for himself. And I think that really applies to Matt LaFleur saying, we got to get Aaron Jones more touches every single week because this is something that he controls. This is something he is the final say over. And it's happened now three straight weeks or even four straight weeks if you look back to the New England game. Um, like Aaron Jones has been probably their best offensive player this year. Uh, he only had about 2.9 yards per carry there at the weekend, but he got nine passes. Um, so, um, I mean, you look at it overall. He's a brilliant runner. He's, uh, he's. I I was surprised to see him improve this year. I thought, you know, as running backs get older, they do kind of regress. And there was an argument, a very valid argument, to be made that Green Bay should have let him walk and kept AJ Dillon. Dillon's took a bit of a step back this year, while Jones has really emerged as one, uh, re-emerged as one of the top five or ten running backs in the NFL. And I think, you know. If they can keep going with Aaron Jones, like in a more expanded role, it's just going to make everything else easier for the offense. Because at the minute, there, the, as you said earlier, the shotgun snaps on third and short, they uh, they make no sense whatsoever when you have running backs that talented. And it's something that's completely in there in control in control from Atlanta. He he gives the final say on this. That's what doesn't make sense to me. So yes, very frustrating overall. 
I think for me, what is so confusing with Darren Jones is like he is a different back from AJ Dillon. Like what they have in common is they're both excellent runners. But like, yeah, Aaron Jones is like a dual threat. Like not people don't really think of him as that, but he really is. What he had fifty three yards and nine receptions on the weekend. But like AJ Dillon, when he was brought to Green or drafted by Green Bay, the talk was about the size of his quads, and then he's a short down or short yardage back that he's just going to parry over and at the end of last year or maybe it was two years ago now at this point when he started to kind of come into the team it was like that's what blew everyone's like wait look at this guy he's just going to be a red zone threat right like that's all you need him for that that's what aaron jones if you if you stop playing so much shotgun if you do move it up and you're not so obviously throwing the ball it's not how you just open up aaron jones again and then is it that aj Dillon has taken a step back and make him a bit more like a I don't know, a Tony Pollard or a Kareem Hunt that you're using in certain situations versus putting them out there and giving them equal snap counts. Yeah, I would have been all for equal snap counts at the start of the year, but just the way the two of them have played, they've gone in opposite directions this season. So I I would lean towards giving Aaron Jones more more snaps. On the, the whole shotgun thing, there was an argument to be made about Aaron Rodgers does. He's playing with injured fingers or an injured thumb at the minute, and there's something about... Uh, it may cause a little more strain him taking snaps under center, but it, like I, it, you're you're playing once a week. Like, can you mm-hmm. can you can take you can take the snap for the amount of money you're getting paid? And I, I don't like that argument. Oh, you're getting paid millions, but come on now, you can you can handle a wee bit of strain just to put your team in a better position there. So uh, overall, I think Lafleur needs to give Aaron Jones more touches on the field. I, I feel a little bit hesitant about limiting AJ Dillon's uh, touches, just considering how good he was last year. He was terrific last year, and he could just turn it around at a moment's notice, um, especially as the se- as the season goes on and the months get colder and those big running backs just seem to get better and better. You see Derrick Henry every year do it. So um, I think, you know, it's, it's a tough balancing act when you have two players that good, but, I mean, at least use one of them. Just don't have them both sitting back there while you throw the likes of Sammy Watkins and Alan Lazards of the world. Do you? And I, I couldn't agree more. Like AJ Dillon, like, I'm not going to say always oh, a, a playoff. Back. I think he's fantastic. I couldn't wait to draft him in fantasy football this year. But it's so obvious that he has taken a step back through the offense, just because the offense is taking a step back. And it's like I'd like to see him down the stretch more getting into the game and I'm, I'm, I'm 100% with you Aaron Jones is the way to go I think anyway but when it, it seems to be all the talk is about the offense because the offense is the one that has been so explosive for so many years now especially Matt LaFleur in charge on defense I don't see this talked about but is it like are they getting their fair share of criticism here because when I look at that team Look, Jair Alexander, it was a mistake what happened in week one when he wasn't matched up with Justin Jefferson. They have remedied that now. I know he was injured, and then he, there was no true wide receiver against, say, the Giants in London. But he did match up over Garrett Wilson against the Jets. Rookie or not, he still took care of him. Last week against Terry McLaurin, he kept Terry McLaurin at bay, but then when the big moments came up, Terry McLaurin did Yeah, Yeah, and it was kind of tough um, because... I had my brother text me like, how do they let Taylor Heineke on third and 12 convert at the end of the game? And it's to Terry McLaurin, who we knew with Carson Wentz that Terry McLaurin wasn't in the game so much. When Heineke came back in, you knew that he was probably going to go back to McLaurin again. So, and I'm not, I'm not pointing the blame on um, Joyer Alexander. I'm just saying that it's, 
he's obviously being paid a lot of money to stay out on an island on his own. But the guys around him, I don't know, Dariff, like I've been as impressed. I think I was shocked as a Cardinals fan that picked up Devondre Campbell for peanuts and let him go again. And you yeah. expect nothing from him. And then he goes on to be an all-pro. And you're thinking, how does this happen? The same with Rizal Douglas. He bounced around from practice squad to practice squad. Now, that fell on Arizona and the Thursday night game last year. But, like, he'd been with the Eagles. So he'd been with a couple of other teams as well. But the Packers just got the best out of them. And by best out of them, it's not even – it's inexplicable how good they got when they went to Green Bay. Is it fair to say that regression should have been expected and they're playing out of their skin? Like, don't get me wrong. I know Devondre Campbell had the pick six the other day. But the, the defense kind of was playing out of its skin. I don't have a football outsider stats for it. But, like, is there a bit of regression there? And that can explain some of Green Bay's woes as well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think, you know, you have to expect that regression overall. Like, you have one good season from Douglas and one good season from Campbell. And they, they ended up giving Campbell, you know, a five-year, $50 million contract, which, you know, I, I thought, you know, the way they played last year, especially Campbell, looked sustainable. Douglas, you know, he got a lot of interceptions, a lot of pick sixes, and you think, you know, well, like, you know, that play either goes here or it doesn't. You know, that's not the same as, you know, shutting down a receiver for a full game the way other top corners in the league do it. So, uh, you know, Campbell did turn around and have his, Devonta Campbell had his, well, probably his best performance as a Packer there at the weekend against Washington. So if he can revert back to that form it will be it would be very very uh, beneficial going forward i think as the defense as a whole they're always made out to be good on paper but it never really comes to fruition um jair alexander it, it it really pains me to say that he's not playing like uh you know one of the top two or three corners in the league this year that people would have viewed him as two years ago maybe i know he was out for much of last year with an injury but um he gets a lot of benefit of the doubt by myself included that um you know he's a very likable player he's you know he's got all the swag he's got the flashiness and he's humble and he's just a really really talented athlete overall but you know Terry McLaurin had his number at the weekend and um in other games you know I have a hard time believing even if he was matched up against Justin Jefferson that he would have kept him much more quiet than he was in the season opener so you know, overall, there's there's holes in that defense that they don't feel like holes because you've got big name players playing in them, and you've not got many you know real backups in the team. It's a full team of like players where you'd be satisfied that they're starting. They're just not executing well enough, and it's been per overall per display of effort and intensity and play calling overall with Joe Barry. That being a even that's a different story for another day, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's because it, again, this like you're saying that the the names make you believe, like, but like Adrian Amos, he he's been hit or miss ever since his Chicago Bears days. Rashawn Gary, look, I love him, and I know he's playing fantastic. You know, he was a slow burner coming into the team, but he kind of sums up like when they got Preston Smith and um, Zadarius Smith, and out of nowhere, the Smith Bros or whatever it was, as a pass rushing duo, and they've lost Zadarius Smith, who went to Minnesota in free agency. It's like. We've 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 come become used to these guys being star players because Green Bay's offense or defense stepped up out of nowhere. But yeah, play calling that has been an issue. What how would you rate the pass rush in that now for Green Bay, considering the kind of changes or just regression or whatever it's been now, like with Zadaria Smith say gone? Um, I think Rashawn Gary has 
really taken over the mantle and he, he's playing about as well as, as Zadarius played when he was there in 2019 and 2020. Um, you know, Rajan is a superstar now at the minute. He's easily the best player in this defence this year and I would say he was the exact same last year. Preston Smith took a bit of a step back compared to what he was last year. I think Kenny Clark up the middle has... Uh, he's actually gotten a wee bit better this year than he was last year. He's having one of the better years of his career so far. Overall, their pass rush is solid. They blitz quite a lot, um, even though it doesn't feel like it often. They, they like to send five rushers up at a pretty often rate. They usually have you know three interior guys. Um, so I think uh, overall, you would be happy with how they've, they've been rushing the passer. I think overall, the defense isn't as bad as it's being made out to be. Um they've got some very bad breaks. I mean, Taylor Heineke completed that last pass, that third and 12 you mentioned, with his eyes closed. I don't know if you saw the photo. His eyes are completely shut as he's throwing the ball. Like, that's the definition of a Hail Mary that just happens to work out. <laughs> they've gotten some pretty unfortunate uh, blows throughout the past few weeks. Um, couldn't deal with Saquon Barkley and the Wildcat in London um, against the... the um, Jets, there was a block pump that kind of screwed them over on the scoreboard, gave them a touchdown that they didn't really concede. You know, overall, I think they've gotten better as the weeks have gone by. I think Joe Barry, the defense coordinator, has improved as the weeks gone by. Um, as you said, putting Jair Alexander on in man to man against the number one receiver in all the teams, that's a positive adjustment. Um, but you know, they've got their toughest test this week against Josh Allen, so we've no idea how that's going to go. Yeah, it's a good way to bring it forward as we kind of get close to the end of this because, you know, like Green uh, Green Bay has had close wins, definitely. Um, so as they've also had a couple of close losses. But like I said at the very top, they're still three and four. I mean, like, they're not a million miles away, you know, a couple of extra batted passes or a com- completed passes and the season does look different and, you know, maybe we gloss over it a bit more. But they do go into this game against Buffalo now buffalo now on the weekend 11 and a half point underdogs which seems crazy you know like we're ta- we're we're giving out i said this on the on the last podcast i did with brian o'leary looking at monday night football and we kind of like are complaining about all these prime time matchups but at the end of the day you know this is super sad like this is big time green bay playing buffalo but just because yeah. of the way green bay's record is we don't really seem to care about it and um, we did think that losing to the jets was going to be the wake-up call for the packers now Aaron Rodgers says that facing Buffalo off a loss going into Sunday Night Football, that that might be what's best for them. Look, we know and we mentioned what happened when the Packers were underrated against the Cardinals last year, an undefeated Cardinals team. I've kind of seen some suggestions on your Twitter that you might expect <laughs> a bit of a surprise. Is that just for show or are you kind of confident? <laughs> That got a lot of negative reviews from angry Packers fans out there, but uh, I see, I do see parallels in the two. Obviously, uh, this this Bills team is is leaps and bounds ahead of that Cardinals team was last year, even when they were undefeated. But that like that was a horrific Packers squad going into that game. They had Juwan Winfrey lining out at receiver. I think they were down. They were down their top four receivers in that game. Um, and the, the offense pretty much resembled what it looks like this year. Um, so I think uh, the, the Packers, you know, they've always been a team that pull it out when you least expect it. They play to the level of their opposition, be that the Jets or be that the Bills. Um, they've, been, they've only been blown out really twice in the last 
three or four years on well three times been blown out by the 49ers twice on Tampa Bay once uh, in 2020 um, so you know they're a team that usually hangs in it no matter how good or bad their opponent is um, and so it's, it's the sort of game where you know it's I do fancy Buffalo to win but I think 11 and a half is quite a lot for this game I think that might be a little bit of a reach you know this Packers team isn't great but it's they're still they're still a pretty capable team. They, yeah, they lost to Washington, but they lost by two points. They lost to the Jets, but they had punts blocked. I, I checked there. They've had two punts blocked in their last ninety punts. You know, that's a that's a two percent chance of a punt getting blocked. Uh, they lost to the Giants in London. I think that was a fair and square loss, but this Giants team six and one, they're they're a good outfit. You know. So you know, overall, like it's not like they've been you know, absolute DEFCON one getting blown out every single week. This team's okay. <laughs> people are sort of, it's getting to the point where, you know, when things get a wee bit too, uh, too many people call them overrated, they become underrated. I'm starting to get that sense with the Packers. And if they can reset and, you know, say, okay, our season starts today, this Sunday. Sean McDermott, he's 5-0 and coming off the boy. And the Bills are getting rather healthy. I suppose your Tredavious Whites and stuff like that, like they're not going to be limited anymore. Does the Bills' defense pose too much against the Packers' offense? It's kind of floundering at the moment. I think this Packers' offense is going to have a really hard time moving the ball. Um, you know, this the Bills' front four, especially, uh, they're getting pressure with four. Von Miller's just been an absolute freak show. Nobody can seem to stop him on either edge. Um, the Packers obviously have their fair share of issues along along the offensive line, and you know they're going to have to come into this game with an awful lot of sort of schemed up plays and plays that can protect the offensive line and plays that can get you know their their best ball carriers with the ball in space. Because if they go into this game, they if they approach this game like they're just playing any other basic NFL defense, and they could they could struggle to reach ten points, and that's just the honest truth of where they're at right now. And, the level the Bills are at on both sides of the ball right now. Yeah, it almost sets up like a game that's going to be closer than we expect or way further apart than we expect. I feel like yeah. the eight and a, or 11 and a half spread, it's like, it's just wrong, you know, that kind of way. It's going to be a hit or miss. But I suppose, all right, so say they lose this game and they got to three and five. Coming up after that, they have Detroit, who, I mean, they should win, but then they have Dallas, they have Philadelphia, they have a t- Tennessee team that we don't know what, you know, place that Tennessee team would be at. What needs to happen with those those games coming up? You're you're three and five. Like I said, that will be beyond what Green Bay's losses have been the last three seasons in a row. The NFC definitely doesn't require you to have ten wins to get that seventh wildcard space. Actually, if anything, the end of this NFL season is going to be nuts because so many teams are going to be in play for that seventh yeah. seed. So. Is it just that they're going to have to run that um, that four-game gauntlet? Well, they did it before in 2016 with the whole run the table and started off four and six and finished the season 10 and six and just about squeaked out winning the NFC North. Um, I think something along similar lines are really going to have to happen this year. I have a hard time believing that they'll win. If they lose on Sunday, I have a hard time believing they'll go back-to-back-to-back wins against three teams that can cause anyone trouble on their day and the Lions, the Cowboys and the Titans on a Thursday night, especially that's going to be difficult. 
Um, you know, you've got still quality teams in this in this whole uh, whole schedule going forward. I mean, facing the Eagles, I believe that game is in Philadelphia. That's uh, you can almost write that one off at the rate the Eagles are going at the minute. Um, then you've got other teams down the line. I think you know they're not going to want a piece of the Vikings coming back again, who have managed to maintain the form that they started off the season with. Uh, it's it's going to be. I don't think it's a long shot, but it'll be a tall order. It'll be a tall order for them to to, to squeeze back in. There's multiple ways that they can do so. Just as you said, the weakness of the NFC overall. You're, there's not a whole pile of good teams, competitive teams. There's not a team in the NFC North as good as Vikings are. They're not going to run away with this whole division lead. I think the Packers can win the division with 11 wins. I think they can make the playoffs with maybe nine. But, you know, the, the old question is, what good is it anyway once you get there and you lose straight away? You saved me my final two questions, answering if you still think that the Packers can win the division. So uh, thanks a million for joining me, Dara. If, <laughs> or if you're listening, make sure to check out Dara on Twitter, at Dara Carragher. That's Dara spelled D-A-I-R-E, Carragher. And uh, you'll find all the links that you retweet yourself from 24-7 Sports. Thanks a million, Dara. Thank you, Mark. It's been a great pleasure to join you.